0: Well, if you've got a Bible, open up to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. We continue through the book of Galatians. And this morning, we're here toward the end of chapter 2, verses 11 through 16 in particular. There's an outline on the back of the handout, if that's helpful for you to keep an eye on, sort of bare bones outline as, as we move along. If you didn't bring a Bible with you or you don't have an ESV, which is what I'll be preaching out of, there's hardback ESVs there in the pew in front of you. There should be one there or at least down a little way so you can grab that. It'll certainly be helpful to have Bible open as we move along. It's page 913, if you're looking at one of our pew Bibles there. Galatians chapter 2 verses 11 through 16. Um Marie and I have been feeling pretty good lately about knowing our way around town. I mentioned that before, you know, in the age of GPS stuff, it's easy to get in a new town and just use your Garmin or use your smartphone and get around everywhere and not really learn where you're going. So we've tried to not do that too much and we feel pretty good that we're starting to to learn the area, which is probably, you know, feeling some pride in that. It's probably why last week when we were all driving home from somewhere in the van, I just drove right past our neighborhood (laughs) and the kids are looking around. I think it was Nora first that said, "Where, Where are we going? And Maria said, yeah, we, we passed the neighborhood. And I just driven right past it. And it wasn't because I didn't know where I was going. I mean, I, I knew where I was going. I knew the way. I just wasn't paying attention. I drove right past it. Well, that's what we see in our passage this morning with the apostle Peter. So he knew the gospel. So Peter, he knew that sinners have their sins covered. They're made right in God's eyes, not by their works, by faith alone, in Christ alone. Peter knew that but he had begun to deviate from the gospel in his life practically. He had been driving past that road, even though he knew where he was supposed to be going. And Paul's gonna point out, Peter was out of step with the gospel. So hear the word of the Lord, Galatians 2, 11 through 16. He says, but when Cephas, which is just another name for Peter, I'll just refer to him as Peter throughout, that'll probably simplify things. But when Cephas came to Antioch, How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Okay, so what the Lord's calling us to do here in response to this passage of scripture is to walk in step with the gospel. So understand what it says, but not only that, that's not good enough. Then walk according to it. Walk in step with the gospel. We're going to see at least three particular calls from the Lord to help us with that task, to serve that end. And it's the outline that we'll move through the the passage with. So first, understand that your hypocrisy will lead others astray. It's the first thing we'll look at. Second, remember the gospel. And then third, offer and seek out accountability. So so first, let's remember what Paul has been doing in the book of Galatians. So just a, a quick refresher. So in chapter one, he was ra- reminding the Galatian Christians why they could trust him as an apostle and why they could trust that his gospel message was true. Namely, the fact that Jesus gave him the gospel. So it went from Jesus's mouth to Paul's ears. It was from the Lord. And, and the supernatural nature of the gospel was confirmed when Paul, who had not collaborated with the other apostles, those men that walked with Jesus in his earthly ministry, they, unbeknownst to Paul, they're both preaching the exact same gospel message, even though they hadn't conferred. That's because the Lord supernaturally gave it to to both groups. So we looked at that, that was chapter one, but then remember what we saw last Sunday, there's these false teachers around the Galatian churches. And it really seems like that's the impetus for why Paul was writing this letter. And those false teachers are saying that Paul's gospel message and the apostles' gospel message is not the gospel message. No, these false teachers are saying the way for people to be made right in God's eyes isn't through faith alone in Christ alone. It's through faith in Christ plus some good works, namely circumcision and keeping parts of the Old Testament law. Well, our passage this morning, it it recounts a trip that occurs after Paul's trip to Jerusalem, It's a trip where Peter leaves Jerusalem and comes to Antioch. And it could be the trip we're told about in Acts 12 or at least some of Peter's travels. This is Acts 12, 17. This is right after Peter got out of prison for preaching the gospel. You might remember that there in Acts. This is Acts 12, 17. Peter described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. So a lot of folks think, okay, I bet that travel included Antioch. It fits with the timeline. So that could be one of the places where Peter goes. But regardless of when it occurred, Peter had gone from Jerusalem to Antioch. And that's where Paul had been ministering. Okay, well, look at how Paul sets up our passage this morning. Chapter 2, verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Condemned. Okay, so what merits this response from Paul? That's intense. He opposes him to his face. He says he stood condemned. He was clearly guilty of something in Paul's eyes. So what's he he guilty of? Why did he stand condemned? Well, we see uh, in the middle of verse 14 that not only does he rebuke him sort of personally, but he does it publicly. Verse 14, the middle there of verse 14. I said to Cephas, again, Peter, I said to Cephas before them all, So not only is he fussing at Peter, he's fussing at him publicly. So so what merited this reaction, this strong reaction from Paul? Let's let the text give us an outline of the issue, and then we'll draw out some some particular truths the Lord would like for us to notice, like I, I mentioned a minute ago. Paul tells us the particular problem. It's there in verse 12. It begins in verse 12. So this is what Peter was doing wrong in Paul's eyes. For before certain men came from James, he, Peter, was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Okay, so during Peter's stay in Antioch, initially he was having meals with the Gentiles, which just means a non-Jew. So we've got two categories here. There's Jews and then there's non-Jews. That's what that word Gentile means. So he's he's having meals with these Gentiles, these non-Jewish uh, Christians that are there in the church in Antioch. Okay, now why is that something that Paul notes? Because the truth is, it wouldn't be a big deal if this week you have lunch with somebody who's Scottish, for example, right, or German, or Nigerian. That's not something that would be significant, you know, where somebody would say, "Oh, did you really think about it before you had lunch with them?" You know, no, we we wouldn't think about that. So why does it matter here that Peter was eating with the Gentiles? Well. It was incredibly significant to most Jews because there were pretty strict laws in the Old Testament about what you could eat and what you couldn't eat. So if you wanted to this afternoon, you could read Leviticus 11. I see sort of a summary of some of those dietary laws, what they could eat and what they couldn't eat, but, but a few things they couldn't eat, they couldn't eat pork, they couldn't eat shrimp, they couldn't eat shellfish. Well, non-Jews, because all those things are awesome, non-Jews ate all of those things, but Jewish folks, it was off limits. So Jews found it prohibitive to try to eat with Gentiles because they would eat things that for the Jews under the Old Testament law were off limits. But there was a further complication. The Jews also considered a dish to be unclean if it had had a food that was unclean in it. So not only could you sit with somebody and they could say, okay, well, I'm going to eat pork, but, but I'm going to give you some lamb. Well, if they give you a plate with lamb on it, and if that plate had had pork on it at some point, for most of those Jews, they would say, that's not good enough either. I, I can't eat off of this plate even. And on top of that, since Gentiles were the kind of people who ate ceremonially unclean foods, as far as the Jews were concerned, most Jews didn't want to be in close proximity to those Gentiles, especially during mealtime. So it was unusual for a Jewish person to eat with a non-Jewish person. But see, initially, at least Paul was having meals with these non-Jewish Christians there in Antioch. So why was he doing that? Well, it's because Peter had believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the way for a sinner to be made right in God's eyes isn't through these particular activities, what they eat and don't eat, what they do and don't do, what they say and don't say. No, those things... According to God's word, come along, right, are expected, but that's not the way somebody's made right in God's eyes. Being made right in God's eyes doesn't come by obedience or moral effort at all. It comes through a sinner placing their hope in Christ alone and what he's done on our behalf. That's the gospel. And see when a sinner places that faith in Christ, that sinner's sins are forgiven. They're reconciled to God for for all eternity. So Peter knew that by eating with the Gentiles who had placed their faith in Christ, He was eating with people who God considered to be clean because Christ's blood had covered the sins of those people. They didn't have to become Jews in order to be justified. Okay, but but here's the part that doesn't make sense. Then Peter suddenly stops eating with the Gentiles. So one week he's okay to go over to their house for supper. One week he's okay to meet them at the temple and eat food with them. And then the next week he stops cold turkey, quits eating with them. And And everybody knew there was only one explanation for that. And that is that Peter all of a sudden was now treating these foods and these people as unclean, as people that he could not be around, as foods that he could not be around. But but see, in in the passage this week, Paul isn't fussing. It's different from last week. The false teachers weren't thinking about the gospel, right? They didn't believe the one true gospel. Peter, Paul's not fussing him for not thinking about the gospel, right? He's assuming that Peter believes in the one true gospel. In fact, if he had realized Peter didn't believe the gospel, he would have told us about that here. So it's it's not that. No, it remained clear to Paul throughout all these events, Peter believed justification by faith alone in Christ. The problem is Peter is acting like that gospel is not true. His life is not fitting with what he believes about the gospel. Peter's acting like justification comes through works and not by faith alone and Christ alone. Look at how Paul characterizes Peter's actions, which by the way, lead others astray. We're gonna talk about that more in a minute. But in verse 13, look at how he characterizes it. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So see, the problem was Peter was being a hypocrite. He was living in a way that didn't fit with what he believed. It didn't fit with what he would say about the gospel. Look at the way Paul says it in the middle of verse 14. I said to Cephas before them all, if you though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Sort of a confusing back and forth there. might read that and and think what, what exactly does that mean? But basically in the recent past, Peter had been okay to be with Gentiles that were eating non-Jewish foods, so he was okay with that, but but now he's, he's starting to make it look like you, you have to become a Jew in order to be justified with the Lord. He's, his actions are making it look like that, so if you, Peter, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, which he had been doing and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles now to live like Jews? So again, he's, he's saying that he was being hypocritical. And we should pause and recognize we sometimes do this same thing, don't we? It's good to be reminded about this. Sometimes we participate in this same kind of hypocrisy. So you can think about it, aren't there times when sometimes you get so upset with someone for a particular sin, even though you commit that same sin and give yourself a pass when you do it, but now you're sort of holding their feet to the fire. So there's times where I'll fuss at my kids for them not wanting to share their things with one another. But then the following week, I'll be selfish about my time and my resources. And I won't want to share those things with somebody else. That's hypocrisy. I'm not acting according to what I believe and what I say to others. So aren't there times where maybe you'll judge a fellow coworker harshly for being impatient with another coworker, but then sometimes you're impatient with your coworkers you kind of just explain that away or, or ignore that. Or maybe there's times where you'll judge somebody for spending a lot of money on a particular purchase or a trip and you'll think, oh, how foolish, you know? Like how materialistic to spend money on that thing. But then when you sort of treat yourself with something like that, then you think, well, no, of course I'm justified in this because of this and this and this. We, we do things like that. Hypocrisy is a, a real thing. And it was for Peter in our passage. Look at the way Paul summarizes the problem in verse 14. He says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. So Peter believed the gospel, but where he fell short is that his actions contradicted his beliefs. They didn't go together. He he was being a hypocrite. And Paul recognizes the magnitude of this problem. So that's main idea. That's what's happening. That's the historical event that's happening in our passage that Paul is fussing at Peter for. And right off the bat, he points out one really bad effect of Peter's hypocrisy. Namely, it leads other believers astray. And this is our first point this morning. Understand that your hypocrisy will lead others astray. Verse 12, for before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So Peter's hypocrisy about the gospel, it didn't just affect him. It affected these other believers. It led others into sin. I don't know when it became known that secondhand smoke was a thing. I think probably there were a lot of folks in the Winston-Salem area that weren't crazy about that idea when when it first came out. But at some point we figured out, oh, secondhand smoke is a thing. Before that, there could have been folks and probably were who thought, yeah, you know what, smoking for you, is probably not the best idea. It's probably not very good for you. But they didn't know that it really affected anybody else. But things changed, didn't it? As soon as people realized, oh, it doesn't just hurt you, it, it affects other people that are close to you. That the damage being done isn't, isn't just isolated to this one person. Well, see, as a Christian, your sins are like secondhand smoke. They, they don't just affect you. They affect the other believers around you. And, and in particular, they affect your fellow church members. Listen to the way Paul says it. It says 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. You might remember this. There's a man who's caught in adultery. He couldn't care less. He thinks he's doing fine. In fact, the Corinthian Christians around him, most of them think it's fine. Paul's fussing at them. This is what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So what he's saying is sin is like yeast. that doesn't just stay in one part of the dough. It spreads. It works its way through the whole lump. That's what had happened in the Antioch church. Peter started to act like justification came by faith plus works. And then he starts leading other people astray in that. Verse 13 tells us the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. We're even told that Barnabas, who was Paul's missionary partner, a really solid, gifted brother, we're told even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Your sin affects your fellow church members. Isn't that good to remember? It's counterintuitive, but it's true. Your sin affects your fellow church members. There are several reasons to aim for a holy life but this is one of them. So when you act in a way that doesn't fit with the gospel, that will affect your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. It's it's like you smoking in an enclosed space with, with other people around. It will affect other people. And some of those believers are probably gonna be younger in their faith than you, more easily persuaded to follow your example. Don't forget what Jesus tells us, one of the most terrifying verses in the New Testament, Mark chapter 9, verse 42, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. So your sin doesn't just affect you. It doesn't even just affect your household, your family. No, when you or I deviate from what the gospel requires, our sin affects this local church. It will oftentimes lead to hypocrisy, and and we don't want to lead others astray the way Peter's actions do in our passage. Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So understand your hypocrisy will lead others astray. But, but the crazy thing about all this, again, Peter knew the gospel. He, he knew that he and these Gentiles were considered innocent in God's eyes, not because of their works at all, but through faith alone in Christ alone, not because of what you eat or don't eat, And that's why initially in his time in Antioch, he was eating with Gentile Christians. So why in the world does he pivot? He started out that way. Why does he change what Paul tells us, verse 12? For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Okay, so this is why he pivots. He quits eating with Gentiles because he is afraid. So so here's what's happening. We don't know all the details, but for some reason james was jesus's earthly brother, his half brother so he's one of the leaders in the jerusalem church he's sort of like the senior pastor there in jerusalem for some reason he sends a delegation of guys from that church to antioch probably to see what's going on there because it's a different situation in jerusalem it's all israelites basically but in antioch there's jews and gentiles that are coming to faith in christ So he probably sends this delegation to kind of look into that to see how things are going with a Gentile and Jewish church. Well, anyway, when those guys come, it looks like somehow that stirred up the rest of the Jews that were in Antioch. Probably not the Christian Jews, probably non-Christian Jews, who would have been really sensitive and upset about these Christian Jews saying that now they could eat with Gentiles. That would have been a thing to upset the non-Christian Jews there in that town. In fact, historically, there's a lot of persecution early on in the church from Jews against Christian Jews saying, hey, you guys are turning away from the faith of the Old Testament. Of course, they weren't, but that's what these non-Christian Jews thought. So so something about this group coming from Jerusalem stirs up these non-Christian Jews, and it looks like they start threatening the church and saying, okay, there's there's gonna be some persecution here, whether it's alienation or maybe physical persecution, we don't know. But in any event, it's enough to, to make Peter afraid, where he thinks, oh, I don't want that bad thing to happen. So I'm gonna start acting differently. That's why he pivots. Verse 12 again, for before certain men came from James, he, Peter, was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. But but here's what's interesting about this. So the problem is Peter's letting his fear of social alienation, maybe physical harm, he's letting that fear change the way he operates. But what's interesting is to see the way that the medicine that Paul offers him. What is it Paul says to try to get him to turn back to repent in this way? He doesn't offer him any sort of practical advice, you know, about just trying to avoid these non-Christian Jews, or maybe keep the meals with Gentiles, maybe keep those secret underground. He doesn't do anything like that. He, He doesn't try to give him encouragement to persist through the persecution. He doesn't do any of that. No, instead, Paul's answer is to simply restate the gospel. So Peter's deviating from the gospel. Paul's answer is just to restate the gospel. Look at verse 15. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth, and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And this is our second point this morning. Remind yourself of the gospel. To help you keep in step with the gospel, remind yourself of the gospel. So when Peter's being a hypocrite, what's Paul's solution? He reminds him of the gospel. And that's what we need to do. Remind yourself of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that starts, of course, by understanding you're a sinner, by being reminded that you're a sinner. Now, in verse 15, when Paul says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Now, by that, he doesn't mean that Jews are not sinners. Now, Paul's writings make it really clear. He understood everybody is a sinner. This is Romans 3, verse 10. It's a great example. Paul says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. And that's not just a New Testament truth. That's that's all the way through. Scripture makes it clear. After Genesis 3, every human except for Christ is a sinner. We saw it earlier in our Old Testament reading from 1 Kings 8. 1 Kings 8, verse 46. Love it how short and sweet it is for there is no one who does not sin. Now, what Paul's saying in verse 15 of our passage is that historically, the Jews were in a covenant with God. So the way they looked at the Gentiles was they are on the outside looking in. So it was sort of a a nickname, they're Gentile sinners. They're the ones that are outside of God's plan. They're outside of God's covenant. But look at what Paul says at the end of verse 16. He says, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So what he's saying is whether you are a Gentile or a Jew, no one is good enough to be innocent in God's eyes, not in their own merits. Nobody can earn a righteous standing. Nobody can earn an innocent verdict in God's eyes. And like we mentioned last week, that's because in order to justify yourself through good works, in order to justify yourself by the law, you'd have to obey the law perfectly. Never sinning ever. Look over at chapter three, verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian or you don't know what you think about Jesus, you might think to yourself, that's a feat that can be accomplished. So yeah, I could do that. I could fulfill God's law, but see that's, that's probably because you don't know some of the commands that God gives. So in the Old Testament, God sums up his entire laws, commands in the Old Testament. He sums it up by by saying it means to love him perfectly and love others perfectly. That's what the law commands. We can't do that, not for a day, not not for an hour. So certainly you realize that, Or, or you may be unfamiliar with some of Jesus's teaching in the gospels, where he tells you that it's a sin to be unrighteously angry with someone. He says that's in the same category as murder. Or it's it's a sin to look at somebody with lust in your heart. That's a form of adultery in the Lord's eyes. Like 1 Kings 8 has told us a few times now, there is no one who does not sin. And see, as soon as we've sinned once, that means we've lost the opportunity to justify ourselves. So you, you can think about it like if you're preparing chicken for supper. So I'll always put chicken on a plate before I cut it. And the idea is to keep all of the, uncooked chicken-ness there on that plate, but inevitably it'll splatter or like a drip of chicken will fall down on the counter, which we understand is poison, uncooked chicken is poison. Well, it's not like I say to myself, you know what, this counter is 99% clean, you know? There's only that one spot, I bet it's gonna be okay. No, that's not the way it works, right? That the counter has become contaminated. That one spot contaminates the counter. It's not clean. Well, one sin is all it takes to contaminate a life. One sin, and then it's become become contaminated. And a contaminated life can't be self through uh, can't be saved through self justification. Now, as sinners, we need justification from somebody else. Verse sixteen. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is the reason Jesus came to earth, So the eternal son of God. He became a man so he could live the life we should have lived, and so he could die the death that we all deserve because of our sins. In, in the words of chapter 3, verse 13, a page over, Christ became a curse for us. That's talking about Jesus taking God's wrath, as he stood in our place. And he did that so we could be uh, be given an innocent verdict from God because he's been punished for us. So for those of you who are Christians, all your sins have been paid for. There's no wrath left for you to bear. It was fully born by Jesus on the cross. And that innocent verdict, that justification in God's eyes, it has nothing to do with your good works or your obedience or your moral character. Middle of verse 16, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian and you're willing to talk more and think more about that, come talk to me about that or email me. Talk to one of the other pastors here that we can talk about you putting your hope and confidence in Christ in order to to have your sins covered, be reconciled to God. So that's the gospel of Christ. And that's exactly what Peter needed to hear. He he wasn't walking in step with the truth of the gospel, so he needed to hear the gospel. And it's really remarkable. Scripture does that a lot. There's a lot of places where an author sees a sin. And instead of kind of dealing with the sin in a practical way head on, what he does as a remedy is just offer the gospel. That happens regularly. It's, It's easy to think about the gospel as only relevant at the beginning of the Christian life, but but that's not true. So Pastor Charlie and I, we visited one of our members who's unable to attend, a sister named Maritha Steed this past week, and her son is a secret service agent. And he's on detail with George W. Bush, which is pretty great. So she's got a picture there of her standing next to to the president, to President Bush. Well, when it comes to the secret service, it's not like a president just gets secret service detail for those four years that he's president, and then he moves on and he doesn't have it anymore. No, you guys know this. It's it's lifetime detail. You get the Secret Service forever, right? And until the day you die. And so Retha's son lives in Texas and he's still helping to protect President Bush. See, the gospel works the same way. It, it doesn't just look after you for your first few months of Christian life. No, the gospel is assigned to you the whole way through to provide protection and instruction and encouragement. It looks after you for your entire Christian life. I'll give some examples about New Testament authors doing this sort of thing that Paul just did here with Peter. He gives them the gospel to help with this problem. 2 Corinthians 9, 13. There Paul says the gospel teaches us to be generous givers. So that's an example. The gospel, remembering the gospel teaches us to be generous givers. Or Ephesians six fifteen. There we're taught that the gospel gives us the readiness to live a life faithful to God. Or Philippians 1.27, there we're told, the gospel instructs us how to live our entire life in a way that pleases the Lord. So our entire life should be a response to the truth of the gospel. Or Colossians 3.13, we're supposed to look to the gospel to learn how to forgive others. So see that the gospel, it's a mainstay remedy for any sin in your Christian life. So so when you're being tempted to withhold forgiveness from someone, not only should you look at passages of scripture that command you to forgive, which is a good thing to do, but also remind yourself of the gospel. You're a person that required more forgiveness from God than the forgiveness that's being required of you for this other person. And he gave it to you on the cross. When, when you're being to be uh, tempted to be selfish with your time or your money or your energy, yeah, look at passages that command us to be generous but also remember that in the gospel, God gave you everything. Christ gave all of himself. He was generous in that way. We look at the gospel and that helps us to be generous. Just like Paul does here with Peter, when you're tempted to think a person's justification comes in part through their own good works, remember the gospel, that reconciliation with God comes through faith alone in Christ alone, apart from works. So remember the gospel. Like we talked about last week, pick up the short book on the bookshelf called, What is the Gospel? That's a great meditation on what scripture teaches about the gospel. It's a short book. I think that'll be encouraging for you. Several copies there in the back. Or or read through some of the the clearest, boiled down articulations of the gospel in the New Testament, like here in Galatians 2, or Romans 3, or Ephesians 2, or, or Philippians 3. Verse 15, this is what Paul tells Peter. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So also we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So The walking step of the gospel, you have to remember the gospel. But see, that's not quite enough. And it's not quite enough because our sin is so deep and pervasive. And our sinful flesh, our sinful flesh is so bad but, but because of that, praise God, he hasn't left us alone to keep an eye on our souls alone. Because if it's all on you to be able to keep yourself spiritually safe and for you to remember the gospel, you're not gonna be able to do it. You need help to do that. And this is our final point this morning. Offer and seek out accountability. So Peter knew the gospel. He understood justification comes by faith alone in Christ alone, apart from works, but he still deviated from the one true gospel. And it gets even crazier than that. Peter had actually been given this specific application of the gospel at least two times directly from the mouth of the Lord, which is pretty wild So in Mark chapter 7, you remember Peter was sort of in the inner circle of disciples, so he walked along with Jesus in his earthly ministry, but then he's also on the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. Mark 7, verse 18, he says, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean." Okay, so Peter had heard Jesus in his earthly ministry say, hey, guys, all foods are now clean. The lesson the Lord was teaching you through the food laws has been fulfilled. Now you can eat shellfish. You can eat pork. You can eat shrimp. Jesus declared all foods clean. Peter had heard Jesus teach this. But then in the book of Acts, Peter is acting like that's not true. And he's still separating himself from Gentiles and from Gentiles eating in particular So what happens? The Lord comes to Peter again. This is Acts chapter 10, verse 28. You yourselves know how unlawful it is. He's talking to Gentiles after the fact, after the Lord gives them this message. Peter says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, not a Jew. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So God comes to him. Supernatural revelation, the beginning of Acts 10, and tells Peter again, nope, all food's clean. You can fellowship with Gentiles. So so two times, Peter, an apostle, a ministry leader in the church, had been told by the Lord, you can eat anything and you can eat with anyone. And yet that guy is the one who still is coming up short here and sinning in this way. So listen, if it can happen to the apostle Peter, it can happen to you. And it can happen to me. And that's why as Christians, we need accountability, which is what Paul provides. Verse 11, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Paul points out Peter's sin to him. He opposed him to his face. Now, why in the world would Paul do that? Because that's not a comfortable thing. Nobody relished Few people relish that. If you relish that, that is a bad instinct. But few people relish that. So why does Paul do it? Well, it's because Paul loved Peter. Paul loved Peter, and he wanted Peter to see his sin so that he could repent. Since Peter was sinning by acting hypocritically, he wasn't walking his step with the gospel. Paul loved Peter, he wanted him to realize that so he could repent. Flip over to the end of Galatians to chapter six. Galatians chapter six, verse one. And this is what the Holy Spirit through Paul says there. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that word just means sin. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So what he says is part of loving one another inside of the church, part of bearing one another's burdens is pointing out sin to one another. That is a loving thing to do. And so that's what Paul does here with Peter. Verse 11, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. So, okay, you still might think, oh, but this, this feels uncomfortable, this feels hard. Isn't that bad to point out sin to one another? But, but think about it this way. Think about if somebody goes to see their doctor and the doctor sees a spot that he or she thinks, you know what, there's a good chance that this is cancerous. But let's say the doctor says, but you know what? If I tell this patient this, that's gonna ruin his day. He's gonna be sad. He might be upset with me. He might think that, that I think I'm better than him. Like I think my skin is perfect. And I would never get cancer. So for me to point this out to him is is a bad thing. I'm just not gonna say anything. Okay, that'd be a horrible doctor. Everybody understands that. That's the opposite of love. He's avoiding loving the patient just for his own comfort. Okay, that's what it's like when as members of a church, we just resist pointing out sin to one another. It's the same thing. The, The only difference is, our spiritual health will have eternal ramifications. Whereas all something that a doctor sees, all he can affect is is this life. Okay, so that's why we're supposed to point out sin. It's loving. Now, there's a few things to note here in terms of practicality. First, Paul confronts Peter because of an actual sin. So verse 11, it says he stood condemned. Paul made sure this was an actual sin. So So just because somebody thinks that the NBA is better than college basketball, clearly they're wrong, but that's not sin. Inside the church, we don't have to pursue somebody because of that. Or or to be more serious, we don't have to confront somebody if their kids aren't in the school option that we think is best. That's not necessarily sinful. We, We don't have to confront somebody if they spend their money differently than we do. That's not necessarily a sin. We don't even have to confront somebody if their personality gets on our nerves. That's not necessarily a sin. No, you only confront a brother or sister in Christ when their behavior is clearly at odds with the Bible's clear teaching, which Peter's was. But second, notice that Paul confronts Peter to his face, it says in verse 11. So he doesn't talk about it with other members of the church. No, he, he goes to Peter directly. Now, you may notice in verse 14, Paul confronts Peter in front of a group of people. You might think, okay, why does he do that? I think there's two main reasons for that. The first is Peter's sin was a public sin. It was affecting other people. Everybody knew about it. So oftentimes a public sin, it's wise, and sometimes it requires a a public rebuke. But then second, Peter was an apostle, a leader of the church. His, His actions had an outsized effect on everybody else. But Paul still goes to Peter to share this correction with him directly. Now, as we close this this kind of thing, pointing out sin to one another, it might sound foreign to you. You may have never been in a church before that did this sort of thing where people pointed out sin to to one another. But from, from the very beginning, this was always God's design for local churches. He always intended that this would happen. So because he knows how weak our sinful flesh is, he gives us brothers and sisters in Christ to call us back when we venture into sin. Listen to Hebrews chapter three, verse 12. And there the author says, take care brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So inside the local church, we have the job of keeping one another from being hardened. By the deceitfulness of sin, we're, we're supposed to do that work for one another. So, so think about it like those cement trucks that you'll see driving around, where the the big barrel in the back is always spinning. Why is it spinning? It's so the cement doesn't harden. There's cement back there, right? Wet cement, so it's got to keep turning so it doesn't it doesn't get hard. Well, the the sin inside you is trying to harden your heart. That's what sin is is trying to do. But see, when we gather together on Sundays to sing to one another, like we did this morning, to read scripture to one another, to pray together, to hear the word preached together, that's us as a church spinning one another's hearts around. So sin doesn't harden around our hearts. And see, when one of us is, is allowing a particular sin to get a hold of us and we're not turning away from that sin, we need a fellow, fellow brother or sister in Christ to come and to do some more direct spinning of our hearts by pointing out that sin to us. Galatians 6, one again, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. It's easy to think that the best way for you to serve your fellow church members is by giving them practical help. It's easy to think that's the the best thing you can do, like helping with a house repair, repair or giving a ride if somebody needs it or, or helping out financially. But really the best way to serve fellow church members is helping them turn from sin and hold on to the gospel. It's actually the the most important task that we have for one another as church members. So that that leaky refrigerator or that missed appointment or that financial debt, that, that could affect somebody for a few days or months or even years. But Hebrews 3 just told us that sin is trying to pull them away from God. That's more significant, isn't it? Offering the gospel to one another, pointing out when we're drifting into unrepentant sin, that's really the most important thing we can offer one another inside of the local church. And let me tell you this, the more you realize your capacity for sin, the more you will want that kind of accountability. So as you realize more and more how sinful you are, you will want a church where people will point out your sin to you because you will realize how sinful you are as sinners in our flesh, we're spring-loaded to walk out of step with the gospel. We're, we're given toward the kind of hypocrisy that will oftentimes lead others astray like Peter was. And of course, what, what we need, the remedy to this tendency, is to remember the gospel. That's the tool that will straighten out our walk. But but because we're sinners, we'll oftentimes forget or ignore certain applications of the gospel. That's why we need other believers to call us back to walking in step with that gospel. Verse 15 We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Let's pray. And Father, we're so thankful for the good news of the gospel. We understand it's, it's not just the ABCs of Christianity the way that sometimes we treat it. It is the A to Z. We never move past our need for it. And Father, it is a remedy against every sin in our lives. Father, we, we pray that as a church that we would be characterized as people who walk in step with that gospel. People who, who live lives that practically fit with what it is we say we believe about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that that we would be reminding one another of that gospel regularly. We'd be reminding ourselves of it regularly. And Father, that we would even pursue one another out of love and point out sin and welcome that from others, all to help us walk in step with the gospel for your glory. Take a moment now individually and silently and and pray for the Lord to press these things in on your heart.